everyone. Welcome to another Leading Edge Parenting radio show. This is the place where parents, grandparents, and educators around the world tune in, download, and listen to the words of wisdom of some of the greatest experts in the field of child development and parenting, health, spirit, just how to be the people we want to be and how to be the parents we all so want to be and sometimes aren't really sure how to do that, especially in the moments that are the most challenging to us when we want to be the best we can be and we aren't. And then we feel so awful. What happened? I was I was going to do it the right way, we, we sometimes say to ourselves. And I hear parents use the expressions, I'm guilty of this. And I, I feel so badly about myself when. And I want to give parents permission. We don't have to be perfect. We are all in this together, dealing with the challenges of of just being human ourselves, being in relationships ourselves, and then complicating it all by bringing children into the mix. It's just all part of growing and evolving. And this week our guest is someone who I just so believe is going to help soothe a lot of the angst so many of us parents feel. And it doesn't matter what the age is of our children, whether we have a newborn, whether our children are adults, uh, maybe we're grandparents and we're starting with this all over again, or maybe we're educators and we have other people's children coming into our lives and, and we, we only want to bring the best to them. There are always challenges, especially when the kids aren't doing what we want them to do. How do we handle it? How do we move towards our children? How do we create a safe place for our children? What do we do when they're ornery, angry, uncooperative, so that it is emotionally healthy and we all can feel good about moving through these challenges together? Oh, have we got a show for you? Because our guest today is Patty Whipler, and she is the founder and program director of Hand in Hand Parenting. So when we come back from a very short commercial break, I'm going to introduce Patty to you, and she is really going to have an opportunity in this show to give you some real practical advice, way of looking at and moving towards our children when we are living in the daily challenges of being a parent. So hang in there, everybody. We'll be right back. Do you want to raise confident, kind, responsible children without using punishment, guilt, or shame? Of course you do. Many parents find that there are times when emotions just get the best of their good intentions, and then they feel awful after yelling, threatening, or tuning out their kids. This is especially true when parents are overwhelmed. With this in mind, we've created the first ever Parenting Cleanse, designed to hit reset and kickstart change. Together, we'll help you flush out the old ways of thinking and change the habits that push your buttons, which then cause you to react. 
as you release painful beliefs, stories, and triggers, you'll find yourself free of needing to control anyone else's behavior. This self-paced journey is very affordable and will help you come away with a fresh perspective and confident wisdom. And podcast listeners can save 20% by entering code PODCAST at checkout. Learn more and get started at www.parentcleanse.com. That's www.parentcleanse.com. Remember to use code PODCAST to save 20%. That's code PODCAST to save 20%. And welcome back, everyone. It is my pleasure to welcome to our show today our guest, Patty Whipler. Patty uh, is the founder and program director of Hand in Hand Parenting. Now, the philosophy of hand-in-hand parenting is based on knowing that children have a strong, innate desire to love and to be loved. And when children feel connected, uh, that's when they learn easily. And also, when parents feel connected, they have a much greater success ability to solve the problems that come to them every day as parents. And this belief and this work has been the focus of Patty's passion since 1974, because since that time, she's been teaching parents, listening to parents, and putting forth leadership skills for parents. And in 1989, she founded the nonprofit Parents Leadership Institute, which has evolved into hand-in-hand parenting, and she has given lectures and workshops all over the country, and she's even been in Beijing, China with this work, and today she comes to Leading Edge Parenting Radio, and she is here for our listeners, and it is my pleasure to welcome Patty to our show today. Hi, Patty. Welcome. Hi, Sandy. Thank you. I'm really honored to be with you on your show. I, I appreciate you inviting me. Well, you know, I, I did... I actually, I told you, Patty, you know, you were recommended to me by one of my listeners who sent Uh an email and said, how come you haven't had Patty Whipler on the show yet? And I said, how come I haven't? So I'm very, very delighted that you're with us today. And I know that one of the, the gifts you have to bring us is to take some of the philosophy of parenting, which many experts talk about, and help parents turn it into real practicality, because we can understand how important it is to be there for our children, listen to them, connect with them. But in the moment that our kids are having a breakdown or they're acting ornery and they're not doing what we want them to do, parents get stuck. They're not really sure how to move forward. So the, the first thing I'd love to ask you, Patty, is just tell us a little bit about hand-in-hand parenting and, and you know what the concept is there. Okay. Okay. Um, well, our organization, Hand in Hand Parenting, is we exist to support parents. Um, we really think that parenting is not a job that um, is well done all by yourself at home. It really takes um, that parents need to be in good communication with other adults who are warm and appreciative of all of their efforts and um, with whom they can they can talk and learn. And it it really 
I think parenting deserves a learning community. And so what we're really trying to be is a learning and support community to parents um, so that we can all benefit from what one another are learning individually at home with our children. And, and so we're not all by ourselves with the difficult parts of parenting. And the philosophy or the approach that we use, um, we call parenting by connection. Um, and that approach puts the idea of building and repairing and strengthening our sense of connection between ourselves and our children. And that means um, tending our own ability to connect. It's like when we're too tense or too worried or too frustrated or, or just things have, it's not been a good day, we're in much less, you know, less good shape to connect with our children. And so it's learning how to build support for ourselves so that we have a place to go with all the frustrations of parenting. And it's also then learning some ways to connect with children so that when you have this space to try to resolve a difficulty um, without doing, you know, the stuff that you, that your parents did with you that you don't want to repeat, um, that you actually know what to do. It's kind of like, yeah, we, we all have really good intentions, but what in the heck do we do? You know, when our we your child just asked for orange juice and you put it on the table for them and they shoved it away and acted like, you know, it was your idea, not theirs. And so you put it back in the refrigerator and then they go, I want orange juice. And <laughs> like, how do you, how that do you, brings back memories for me. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's like, what do you do there? And so... And if you're kind to your child and you bring the orange juice out, they're just going to, you know, cry and shove it away and probably spill it again. And it doesn't seem like a, it, it's really hard to know how to be supportive and kind towards a child who is just acting very, very irrationally. And so we have what we call listening tools, parent-child listening tools. Um, and I can illustrate some of those as we talk. But the idea is that, that when children are are caught in a behavior that really isn't working that it's not they're not trying to get our goat they're not trying to push our buttons they're just caught they're trapped they're all tied up in some inner tension and it doesn't really matter so much where that tension came from but um, as you reach out to them they're going to have big feelings it's like if you reach out in a kind and a generous way they're going to have a tantrum or they're going to cry because in order for their mind to reorganize itself, they have to get rid of the bad feelings that are have caused their behavior to go off track. So it's just a different understanding of what it is children are doing when they're when they're off track. Um, that they're signaling us that they need help, and then when we bring some kindness, some attention, a limit, um, a willingness to listen, what we're going to get is wham or lots of laughter and you know crying and tantrums and laughter and sweating and trembling and struggling all of these things allow a child's mind to get rid of that knot of tension that's got their behavior all balled up and if we can listen and remain supportive and not try to rush the solution um they have you know what what I've equated to an emotional poop you know they have a really good tantrum or a really good cry and you just stay and you go, I know, you want the orange juice, but you were spilling it, so I've moved it over here. You can have it later. And then they cry and they cry, I want it now, I want it now. Well, we'll get it a little bit later. Right now, I want to be with you. Seems like things are hard. 
and they cry and they cry until they don't feel like crying anymore. And at that point, their mind has gotten rid of the tension that wasn't allowing any satisfactory solution, orange juice or no orange juice. Um, and they love you again and they can see who you are again and they can see your good intentions and they can drink their orange juice so, or not. So, Patty, it sounds to me like what you're talking about really is, is a shift from that old-fashioned belief system that many parents brought into their parenting from the past generations, which was it's just about getting kids to listen and behave and then and taking their behavior, which you're describing now, as willful not listening and therefore you have to teach this kid by punishment of some and by withdrawing yourself from connecting actually mm -hmm. to teach this child he's he's just got to shape up and, and behave himself and your approach that you're teaching seems to be coming whoa from around the bend which is wait a minute <laughs> this is not about the child being ornery and 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 willful this is about a real struggle that your child is having in his behavior these are my words now his behavior is just an outer manifestation of some kind of inner struggle. And if the parent gets that and stops taking the behavior personally uh, or worrying that this is an indication that he's going to be an awful, horrible grown-up uh, and just realize that, that, that you can soothe the child and move through the tension of the emotions, not make a big deal over the behavior, that all will actually be well afterwards. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the idea that children's intelligence... Um, really, in that that real intelligence involves cooperation, sensitivity towards others. You know, trying things out and learning from the consequences, learning from the results, um, and a big enthusiasm for life and an enthusiasm for being with others. And that when you don't see that in your child, then there's some experience they've had that has left them with a bad feeling, and that that bad feeling has kind of clouded their intelligence temporarily. And that we as parents don't need to teach our children so much as we need to um, just help them help them get rid of those you know those experiences that have left them with a with a bad feeling. Um, get rid of those feelings and support them while they do it. And that they have you know both an inborn intelligence and a drive towards cooperation and an inborn healing process, which involves showing the emotions that haven't felt good so that they can get rid of them, forget them, and uh, learn from the experience. So in the, in the little uh, story you told about the orange juice, let's just mm -hmm. go back there for a moment. Sure. It's not like you punish the child by taking the orange juice away. No. Nope. It was, some people call that a natural consequence, but even gentler than that, it's the parent recognizing that getting it, not getting it, getting it, not getting it, neither of those were really softening whatever the mesh of emotions were. Mm -hmm. And so by gently putting the orange juice back in the fridge and saying, yes, you can have it later, and the child still being upset, the issue wasn't getting the orange juice. The issue was something wasn't working inside for the child, and the parent was willing to move through it and be a soother, until the child was able to untangle it. And after a while, having the juice or not is no longer really the issue. 
Yeah. It's, um, we, we call that particular listening tool stay listening. And so when you see that your child is, you know, they ask for something, but then they're not satisfied with what you give them and they ask for something else, you know, and then they're not satisfied with that. It's recognizing that your child is now so full of feeling that nothing satisfies them. And it's stopping trying to make it better and turning instead and just saying, no, I'm not going to, I mean, the orange juice is a good example. It's like, so you put it in the refrigerator and then they, then they cry for it again. And you just go, oh, sweetie, I know you want the orange juice. I'm going to get it for you in a little while. So it's not like you're refusing the orange juice. It's like you're stopping and saying, I have a child who's full of feelings. It's time to allow him to let the feelings out. And I will help. And so you stay, you stay close. You stay supportive. You just go, yeah, don't worry. We're going to get the orange juice. And they're crying and they're sweating and their back is arching. And they may have, you know, kind of gotten themselves down on the kitchen floor. And it looks like, you know, it looks like the sky is going to fall as far as they're concerned. And you just stay and you go, yeah, it's hard, I know. But don't worry, you'll get some orange juice, you know. And they cry and they cry and they cry. And they're letting, you know, the frustration of, I mean, who knows what they're letting out. And maybe daddy didn't come home last night because daddy's taking a class on Thursdays. And the child really misses daddy. You know, but didn't complain about it last night, but it's really on his mind this morning. You know, or maybe a baby in the family has just been born and the child is experiencing not enough, you know, all, all of a sudden he has to do with less attention. And, you know, you, you don't really know what, where the tension comes from. It just mounts around some small issue. And when you see that things aren't working, you just, you move in and you say, you know, this is, we're just going to be here for right now. And we'll go on with regular life in just a little while. I want to be with you. And, and what's happening is that a child has lost their sense of connection. They've lost their sense of safety somehow or other. Yesterday, the day before, they lost it when they were born. We were just reminded of it when you put them in the high chair and it, you know, and it, it, it you know, and, and the confinement of the high chair made them uneasy because they had such a rough birth and they were really constricted in there and they got stuck in the birth canal. And so every time they get in the high chair, they kind of go emotionally nuts because it reminds them of, you know, something that happened a long time ago that was totally overwhelming. Um, so you don't really know the source of the feelings and it doesn't matter what the child wants to do is release the feelings. And so you connect and they do the hard work of releasing and you connect and they do the hard work of releasing and you connect. And once they've done enough hard work of releasing in sort of in the safety of your attention and with you assisting them in this very quiet way, all of a sudden their face clears, they look at you and they go, okay, mommy, I'm ready for my orange juice. You know, and you go, great. I'm glad you told me. I'll get it for you. And you get the orange juice and you bring it. And then they, you have a little conversation while they drink it. And they're an entirely different person once they've gotten the bad feelings out of the way. So there's no punishment involved. It's like, oops, cloudy, cloudy intelligence. Let me see if I can help you with that. And listening to crying isn't the only way to help, but it's one of the ways to help, and that's what I just described. And, you know, while you were speaking, Patty, it, it really it made me think about adult relationships as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the importance of connecting is a human 
uh, importance, no matter what the relationship is, whether it's parent and child, uh, husband to wife, boyfriend to girlfriend, it, even in grown-up relationships, friendship to friendship, it, it, it's not taking personally when someone else's behavior is an indication that they're struggling with something inside. We, mm -hmm. And I think that we've all been taught, like, grow up, stop it, get over it, get over it. And that's why people go to therapists, because there's somebody who's safe, who will listen to you, who will let you cry and work it out until it feels better. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all remind ourselves and when that when our child or our mate is is behaving in a way that uh, we get up, we could get upset with them. That we remind ourselves really what they need now from us is understanding that something inside, some emotion is all tangled up. And instead of judging them and getting angry with them, oh, we say something soothing like, "Okay, so something's not working for you here," and allow them to work that stuff through. So relationships in general would be so much better. Yeah, I have a little parent story. Would you like me to tell it? Sure, love it. Okay. Okay. So this is, um, this is actually my niece. Um, I, I taught my brother and my sister-in-law parenting by connection and, um, and their little girl was, I think four years old at the time. And her mom, you know, laid her jammies out on the bed and said, okay, here are your jammies. When it's time for bed, you can go get them. I'm going to show you right where they are. Here they are. And then they went in the living room and they played and they had a nice time. And then it was time for bed. And she said, okay, Amy, Time to go get your jammies. And Amy looks at her and goes, no, I don't know where they are. You know, and all of a sudden, all this attitude comes out. And she said, no, Amy, I showed you where your jammies are. You know where they are. No, I don't know where they are. You go get them. I'm not going to. And the mommy just kind of held the limit very, you know, very kindly. No, sweetie, you know where your jammies are. And I'm not going to go get them. You're, you can go get them. And Amy just threw herself down on the floor and started crying. You know, she wasn't going to get her jammies, and mommy was being a bad mommy, and you know, you know, lots and lots of protest. And and as her mother went to you know to embrace her, she got up and she ran into her bedroom. And so the mom slowly followed, and and um, Amy went got down between the two beds in the bedroom and just cried and kicked and cried and kicked and just was like you know, beside herself with upset. And her mom kind of knelt down next to her and didn't try to put a hand on her because she was pretty, you know, there was a lot of kicking and, fl and flailing there. So just said, Amy, I'm right here. You know, I know it's hard. But when you're ready, your jammies, you need to, you need to get up and get your jammies there right here. And just crying and wailing and crying. Wailing. It went on for quite a while. And finally, her mom scooped her up and put her in her lap. And she cried and wailed some more. And and her mom just kind of embraced her and she said, Mommy, you're so mean. You're being mean to me just like that boy at school today. You know, and her mom went, Oh, I haven't heard about this. And she said, Amy, what what boy at school? And Amy cried and cried and cried. And then finally she said, You know, so and so at school, he wanted to kiss me and I didn't want him to, and so I ran. And then he followed me and he wanted to kiss me and I ran away again and I and then he pushed me behind a gate and then he kissed me and she cried and cried and cried. It's like this really traumatic incident had happened at school and she hadn't told her mom about it. And um, so the mom finally understood, okay, where all this feeling was coming from. And she listened for about, you know, 10 more minutes while Amy continued to cry about the boy at school and how she'd been overwhelmed and overpowered and she didn't want his kiss and 
And then when she was finished crying, and not before, the mom said, okay, Amy, what shall we do about this that happened today? What do you, how do you want to mend it? And Amy said, well, I want to go and I want to talk to the teacher and tell her what happened. And the mom said, okay, I'll help you do that. Now, can you find your jammies and put your jammies on? You know, and Amy, let, you know, her jammies happened to be right there because they'd run into the bedroom. So she put her jammies on and they snuggled and she went to sleep well and got up the next morning and she just bounced into school and told the teacher with the mom right there, but the mom didn't have to say a thing, you know, so-and-so pushed me and he wanted to kiss me and I didn't want to kiss him and he stuck me behind the gate and then he kissed me and, and I wanted to tell you so you could help next time something like that happens. And then she just ran off to play and went and was fine with the boy who did it. It's like no leftover resentment, no leftover fear. No, I don't want to go to school. She just worked it all through around the issue of the jammies. And her mom listened to her well, you know, found out what was at the bottom of it. Sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. But that time, that's what was there. Um, and Amy just was totally resilient, bounced right back. It wasn't an issue anymore. So it's a very powerful tool. For I was I was just going to say, Patty, that is such a powerful story in so many ways, and it really illustrates what's going on inside the child. You can't you can't like force it out of them. You can't say, "What's wrong with you? You know, why are you acting like this? Uh, have you lost your mind? You can't talk to to me like this." That's only going to push that stuff deeper and deeper. But mom created such a safe place. It allowed Amy to come forward with what was really going on inside of her. Yeah. Oh, so powerful. Yeah. And but there's you know, there's a caveat here, and that is that most of us are stressed out enough of the time. It's like we are handling so much and we get so poorly supported as parents that um, before you can expect yourself to listen in that kind of a way under fire with your child telling you you're a mean mommy and you're the worst mommy in the world and acting, you know, like, you know, you've made them deeply unhappy when, you know, what's really happening is that you've, you know, you have used every single bit of your energy to make your child's life good. And then, and then they act very ungrateful and very kind of snippy about it. Um, we need to be listened to ourselves. And so part of our approach, matter of fact, a big emphasis in our approach is helping parents learn how to build emotional support for themselves. So how to train someone who's another parent who you don't pay um, to listen to you, and then you listen to them. So you do an exchange. So if we were doing this, Sandy, I would I would say, okay, let's take um, 40 minutes each and I'll listen to you for 40 minutes and you can tell me where things, you know, what you want to say about parenting and how you are. And then when your turn is over, then I'm going to tell you what I'm struggling with as a parent and what I want and what I'm scared of and how I imagined it would be and now how it really is, you know, what the nitty gritty, you know, reality of the situation is and and if I have feelings while I do that, I'm going to have a good cry or I'm going to have a good laugh while I tell you, you know, all the contortions I went to to try to figure something out. And, you know, it's just so as we get to trust one another more and more, the more we listen well, the more trust is built, um, then the freer we are to share the feelings that we have about our parenting to speak really frankly about what runs through our minds during these stressful situations. And as we do that, you know, as you tell somebody, Oh my God, I could have, I could have shook that kid. I, I could have really wrung him, 
you know, one end to the other. And as you say that, all of a sudden, all this rush of, I'm, I really don't want to hurt my child. You know, I hate having these feelings. And then you can have a good cry. The tension is out. You feel much better as a parent. And it makes a huge difference in, in your stress level handling difficult things, you know, the next time you have to handle them. And so over time, you're giving your child an emotional outlet so they're healthier and they can get rid of upsets, you know, quickly rather than carry them through their lives. And then you're getting rid of upset and you're becoming more and more pleased with yourself and with the parenting you're doing. Um, and as we're gentler on ourselves, I think we can also be gentler with the children. That's the way it works. Yeah. 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 So, Patty, let's talk about some more specific challenges because you have such a beautiful way of, uh, of expressing how to move towards a child who's upset. Let's see um, how many issues we can get through. Okay. So we can help the parents and grandparents who and teachers who are listening today. So... Let's pick another issue. What if, you know, you, you kind of went to tantrums. You kind of explained how orange juice can break down into a tantrum. Mm -hmm. uh, putting on evening PJs could, mm -hmm. could break down into a tantrum. So is, is pretty much what you described how you suggest the cause of just about any tantrum when it comes out of the blue, the child, it, um, whether it's in the supermarket or whether it's at home, do you handle it differently, whether you're in the privacy of your house or you're out in public? That's a good question. It's like handling children's feelings in public places is we have an article on this on our website and it's called exactly that handling children's feelings in public places. And it's a, I have a, a, a number of thoughts on that. But, um, I think the first thing to say is that it's not our job to take care of everybody at the grocery store. I was like, we're not their mom. And if people are, are disturbed by the sound of our child doing what children need to do, um, then that it really, it's really not our problem to solve it for them. We don't want to be unkind to people, but we really are our children's parents first. And so doing what's right for your child, um, by your lights is important and other people's peace of mind and happy shopping day is far less important. Um, so I think it's fine to, if you have the, the, um, fortitude, to really just listen to a tantrum in the middle of the grocery store, um, then I would highly recommend doing that because you getting angry um, and shouting loudly at your child is A, going to terrify your child, and B, and create more hurt, which then takes a lot more work to help your child recover from. And B, it doesn't make anybody in the grocery store happier. It's like no, none of us like to see an angry person, and none of us really feel good about a parent yelling at a child. So I don't think we're doing other people favors um, by trying to control a child's behavior. What you can do is move the child to a place where it's easier for you to handle it, and it's you know a little more out of the way. So one time, um, in a in a little of a small store that I was at, um, my son who was four at the time, um, wanted ice cream and I, we'd had a lot of sweets in the last few days. So I said, well, you know, I'm not going to get a half gallon. I'm going to get a quart. And you know, that, that was the, the little pretext that he needed to have a big cry. And what I did was I didn't have the ice cream in my basket yet. So I just 
left the basket there, picked him up and took him around to sort of the back of the store where they load the, you know, the trucks unload the stuff. And I just sat down on the cement with him and he kept crying about, I, we need a half gallon. We need a half gallon. And I just, you know, Jacob, I know you really want a half gallon. I'm right here, but we're only going to get a quart. And he, uh, he unloaded for 20 minutes and, um, and then, you know, then he was okay. And I brought him back in and got a quart of ice cream and he was perfectly happy with that. And we left and I don't know what he was unloading, but he was in better shape at the end. And, um, however, one of the things that causes tantrums is all the disconnection that happens, especially tantrums and other big feelings in public places. It's not the only thing that can cause this, but one of the things that causes this upset, this kind of upset is that when we are getting ready to go to a public place, we disconnect from our children and they get panicked. Um, they just, they get very discombobulated and emotionally, um, upset because what we're doing is we're getting dressed. We're dressing them. We're trying to find their lost shoe. We remember we have to feed the cat. We have to find our keys. We make our list. We look around in the refrigerator to see what we need. Um, we make one last phone call. And then they've taken their shoes off, so we're a little upset. We put their shoes back on. Then we have the whole thing about, you know, who sits in which car seat. And by the t and then we drive to the store, us in the front seat and our children in the back. And that's about 45 minutes probably of disconnected time where we, are, we don't look available. And children's minds are so keenly set. It's like they don't feel safe in any situation unless they can tell that a parent or the person who's there, the adult who's there, has room for them, can see them, can think about them. And we, of necess necessity, not our fault, have to think about keys, shoes, list, phone call, cat, you know, all of this stuff. So we disconnect, and by the time they're at the store, they're in a state of emotional emergency because this disconnection has really discombobulated them. So we get in the store, and they, and their feelings are right on top. So one of the strategies that you can use is another different listening tool, which we call um, special time, which is giving your child a little three-minute or a five-minute dose of one-on-one -on -one time with you not distracted by anything. So you get yourself all ready, you find your keys, you feed the cat, you make the phone call, and then you go, okay, special time. We're going to, and this is sort of one-on-one. -on -one. So if you have more than one child, then you need to use a different tool, which works with more than one child, but we'll just say you have one child. So, and then you do whatever the child wants for five minutes before it's time to go. And if they are filled with emotional tension, what happens is that you play the way they want to play for five minutes and then the little timer goes off and then you say, okay, now we're going to go to the store. And they all of a sudden look at you and it's like their special playtime is over and they burst into tears or they burst into tears as you try to put the seatbelt on them. Um, and they get the feelings out with you before you even finish driving to the place because you made a time to connect. And when you connect, if a child is full of upset, um, they gather in that connection and very quickly they find a way to offload the feelings. So you can actually have an easier time in public using listening tools if you anticipate the problem and then do some special time ahead of it so you're proactively connecting rather than waiting for everything to fall apart before you connect. And um, that 
So I know a mom, for instance, who um, was taking her three children to a big party of a bunch of their friends. And so it's an evening party. She's, you know, home alone with three children all day. She's really looking forward to talking to her friends and having an adult evening, but her three children are there. There's other children there. Two of her kids go off to play. And the third one is just like clinging to her leg, you know, mommy, mommy, play with me, play with me. And it's like, Oh, I do not want to play with you. I'm trying to have myself a party here. But what she did was she said, okay, sweetie, I know this is hard. Let's do five minutes of special time. I'll play whatever you want to play. And her daughter was just delighted. And her daughter, you know, wanted to crawl underneath the party table with the with the tablecloth hanging down and turn it into a little tent and a little home. And they played um, doggies in there. And one doggy, I don't know, the mom was a doggy and she was a doggy and they had a little bed and you know, they talked doggy talk to each other. And then the mom's little timer went off and she said, Okay, sweetie. No, that's five minutes. Um, and she said, okay, mommy, thank you very much. And she climbed out from under the table and went off to play with the kids. So sometimes just a little reassurance that someone's here, someone can think about me, you know, can actually solve the problem. And you don't have to go through the whole, you know, it's like children don't always need to cry. Sometimes they just need a sense of connection and their mind can think and they are, they are just fine. And it's possible that that little girl might have had a breakdown at that time as well. She might have, yes, yeah. Yes, and then mom would have just held her, been with her, and understood until she got it out. And then she probably would have been yep. okay. Yep, we I, have stories like mm -hmm. that too, where it takes it takes maybe 15 minutes of crying before a child can actually see safety in the situation. But if they're crying, they are working their way towards being able to see safety. And you as a parent can support them and say you know, these are good children. I know you can figure out a way to play, but not say, now go play with Susie. She's your age and she's going to, you know, you guys can play on the slide together. It's like, you don't try to solve it. You just say, I think you can handle this. You know, these are good kids and I'm right here. If you need help, you can come get me, but you're not trying to stop the crying. You're trying to allow the child to have their emotional poop so that, you know, their intelligence can clear and then they're just, they're geniuses at, you know, making it all work. And also, I mean, if, if you're worried what your friends are thinking about you, that makes it harder for you as a parent to be there for your child, which yeah. I would imagine is why it's important to have friends who are supporting you and who are understanding that this particular child might need to go through that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and when you're upset about the criticism of other people, you know, you take that to a listening partnership. And so if I'm upset about that and you're my listener, then in my listening partnership, I'm going to practice, you know, I'm going to say to you what comes to my mind as my child is screaming and I feel your criticism. So I'm going to say, you know, things like get off my back. I'm doing the best I can. Just do not say what you're thinking. I don't want to hear your criticism. And I can cry and cry and cry about how criticized I felt as a child and how I could never, somehow I could never meet my parents' expectations and they were, you know, they're always wanting more from me than I could do. And, you know, usually our, our, the places where we're, we get afraid or can't sort of be ourselves with other people relate to issues that we had with, that we've had for a long time. They're not issues that just cropped up because we have one or two you know, friends who tend to, to judge us, you know, they're, 
they come from being judged all the time as a child and having no protection against the power of the grown-ups who are judging us and and so we we get to fight for ourselves you know in our listening time and shed the feelings that we have and then we're much better able to um not to be un, you don't want to be unpleasant at people you don't want to unload on them you unload in your listening partnership and then you see their critical face and you just go well you know she's throwing that glance but i know i'm i'm doing what i want to do and that's why parents need the same thing children need which is someone who will create that safe place for them mm -hmm. where they can work it through something you said in the story i just wanted to go back to patty and that was that when it's time to leave the house to once you've got everything together in order to leave instead of whooshing out of the house to spend five minutes connecting with the child. I mean, that just the thought of that is brilliant because most of us feel like we're on this roll. We're on the roll to leave and now we have to pull the kid with us and push, get them in the car seat and, and uh, I don't want to deal with you crying in the car seat. It's a whole nother understanding that it's mm -hmm. okay to take a few minutes and connect. But the thing that I think most parents, oh, this is such beautiful wisdom for them, such permission that if the child has that breakdown in the car seat after you spent the five minutes, it doesn't mean you did anything wrong or the child is unappreciative. Oh. If I understand it correctly, what you're saying is by connecting, you, you've now created a safe place where the child can unload the feelings of, I had to stop playing, I had to stop connect, I had to stop this wonderful feeling to go to the store, that that's actually healthy once they dis dislodge that. Yep. Yep. But that's, takes, that's exactly right. It takes patience and wisdom yeah. on the part of the parent to not then get upset and say, I already gave you your five minutes. Now I need to wait another five minutes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a lot of soothing yeah. here. A lot of soothing. Yeah. Not, not exactly. I, I guess I don't think of it as soothing as I think of it as just understanding the emotional dynamics um, between us and our children and understanding that for many children for a time, Every transition reminds them of upsets that they've had earlier in their life. It's like every transition makes them feel like, you know, someone's making me do something that I don't want to do. And that it may take some, you know, a month of crying a lot at transitions before they don't feel victimized by a transition. But that, but that if you invest that time, um, then at some point your child will be finished working on the emotional, you know, the, the little guy wires that trip off big feelings from early in their life that get triggered by transitions and they will make transitions easily. And then your life is going to be a whole lot easier than the lives of many other parents around you because your child actually has worked through all their, all their issues around transitions and they make them relatively easily now, you know, except when there's been a lot of stress or they've been sick, then they go back in and they take a few more swipes at whatever that early upset is. And, um, but that, that as you invest time in helping children unload the times they feel disempowered by all the ordinary things that happen, um, they then become very powerful young people. They're very in tune with their own sense of themselves they're very, they have a lot of access to their intelligence. And what we found as we did this work over time was that um, children, even children who had huge issues about, say, transitions or sleep or being scared around other people, once they had done 
enough work about that. Um, they then were like the, you know, the most empathetic, well, most of the children that we worked with at first wound up being thought of by their teachers in school as the most empathetic child in the whole class, you know, the child that all the other children trust, you know, the child that other children really, um, that, that really understands other children's difficulties because you've done all this understanding of your child and they've internalized that and they, they then can turn and actually pay attention to other children who are having difficulty um, rather than get impatient for, with them or run away from them or not want to play with them. They really get what's happening inside of other people and are have you know a, a deep store of emotional um, resource with which to make friends and solve problems. So the results are really long-lasting and, and, and excellent. But it, it does take, it takes a willingness to parent differently from other people and a willingness to work on your own upsets in order to be able to do that. Patty, can we take another example of a challenge? Sure. Um, let's say parents are just going to start this and their children are a little bit older now. So... Let's say there's a three and a, a four-year-old in the family, and uh, the kids are fighting. You know, typical sibling arguing and bickering, and the parent has tried everything, leaving them <laughs> alone to work it out themselves, going in there and trying to help them work it out, and the children are still arguing. Mm -hmm. What suggestion would you have for a parent who wants to begin this kind of connecting? How would they handle their, their children's arguing or bickering with each other. Okay. Um, again, I have a number of thoughts on this, and um, most of this is outlined in two articles on our website. One is called um, Sibling Solutions, and the other one is called uh, Buildings, I think, in, uh, Building or Strengthening Sibling Friendship or something like that. There's two about siblings there, and they're, they're fairly long articles. Um, what I, what I usually suggest that parents do first of all is find a way to set up special time so that each child gets a regular dose of one-on-one -on -one time with each parent in the family. So sometimes if there's two parents in the family, then maybe Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays after dinner, there's, you know, 15 minutes of special time and each parent takes one child. And then the next time they do it, they switch which child they take so that each parent is building a, a relationship with the child based on what the child chooses to do during special time. And the parent um, basically lets the child lead in the relationship, lets the child make the decisions about what's going to be done, and just tries to shine their enjoyment of the child on their child during that time. And it's not open-ended. You say it's 15 minutes, you start it, and the little timer goes off, and that's the end of special time. And if they have, and you leave room so that if there's a big disappointment about the end of special time, they can cry about it. Or maybe, you know, maybe there's a big disappointment about, you know, the kind of toothpaste that you have when special time is over and you're trying to get bedtime going. And, um, and so their disappointment comes up about the toothpaste or a drop of water fell on their pajamas and they want to change their pajamas. And you go, no, sweetie. You know, that's just a little drop and they can have, a, you know, they can totally um, freak out about the water on their pajamas for five minutes so that they can unload the stored up feelings. What that does is it restores a sense of connection and it provides, it provides a little arena for all these little upsets to come up 
while a child feels connected and while you feel connected to them. In general, it's easier to listen to a child after special time because you've, especially if you plan on these upsets coming up for a while. And actually after, say, four months or six months of special time on a regular basis, the upsets come up far less frequently because your child's emotional load has really lightened because you've listened, you've done stay listening. So what special time does is it helps your child trust you. It helps your child feel close to you. And a regular practice of special time means that when you move in and your children, neither of your children can think, and so things have deteriorated into fighting or squabbling or one gets their feelings hurt because the other one touched their favorite toy. Um, as you move in, both children can feel that you're on their side. And that's a tremendous advantage in, in helping children make progress through difficult moments. And you can make progress in a difficult moment by listening to the upsets rather than trying to fix it. So after special time or, or with a regular practice of special time, the tool of stay listening works much better. So if they've been fighting and it's a squabble over whose turn is first with the, with the favorite doll, um, you just move them apart from each other a little bit so they can't, if they're kicking, they can't, you know, hurt each other. And you, this is difficult to do without getting some listening support, but you basically say, I'm right here. You know, I want to hear what happened. And first of all, I'm going to listen to Lucy. And I'll be right here and I'll listen to, I'll listen to you, Becky, in just a little bit. So Lucy, tell me what happened. And Lucy's crying and accusing, and this is what happened. And then you spend three minutes listening there, and then you go, okay, Becky, you know, what do you think? And then you listen to Becky, and then you, you okay, Becky, I'm going to listen to Lucy some more, and you listen back. And it's going to be a mess. It's like they're both going to be crying the whole time, listening to what the other one said, or wanting you to decide it, and you're going to want to decide it and just get it over with in the worst way. But um, what what really works well is just to keep listening until, until one of them can think again. And when, when one can think, the problem is solved. So say Lucy gets through her crying and her mind clears faster than Becky's. Um, what she's going to do is go, well, Becky, why you can have it first, but then when it's time to ride our trikes, I want the red trike first. You know, and Becky can kind of come out of her little cloud of feeling and go, okay, and they make an agreement, which is probably a better agreement. It solves not one problem, but two. And, but it's probably a better agreement than you could have ever come to. And you have two children who are in better contact with one another because their minds are, are less full of upset. So you sort of slow the whole thing down and you just you let the emotional release do the work of clearing the minds. And once their minds are cleared, you know, some good solution will come out. And uh, if their minds are really cloudy, it might take a while. But one of them will begin to have a thought and share it with the other, and, and you're done. And I think another, a third tactic, so that's using special time to set, to build the relationship. It's using stay listening to allow emotional release to solve the problem rather than you solving the problem. You just keep people safe and you keep listening until they figure it out. And the third tool, which I really love, is um, what we call play listening, which is a way of spending time with more than one child that works for, for everybody. And that's just basically getting, getting laughter going 
um, while being affectionate and keeping things safe. So if you play little laughter games like, I've got a hundred kisses for you guys, let's see who I'm going to catch first, and you, you know, go after them, but not in a scary way. It's like, oh, good, I got you, Becky, I got you, but oh, I can't land a kiss, you're so wiggly. And then Becky gets away and laughs and laughs and laughs, you know, and then, you know, and then you're, so, oh, maybe I can get Lucy. And you try with Lucy and you maybe you land a kiss on her calf, but Becky comes and she pushes you down. Oh, no, Becky came to Lucy's rescue. Ah, and you fall and you basically do comic opera um, taking the less powerful role and they laugh and laugh and they team up, you know, with one another sort of t playfully against you and you're trying to land kisses and they're, you know, they're saving each other from getting kissed and they're rescuing each other and hopping away and laughing and laughing. And, you know, laughter is a very, very powerful connector. It makes you feel like a genius because your kids are laughing, you know, and enjoying you and you're enjoying them. And they, in the midst of play with laughter, where you're taking the less powerful role, they can team up with each other and it builds their relationship. So I play these games with my grandchildren all the time. They come over and, you know, they don't want to do a ritual hug and a kiss. You know, children are, at least these grandchildren anyway, are just not big on rituals. So I open my arms and they run away and they go, no huggy, no kissy. And then that's my signal to run around the house trying to catch them. And anytime I catch one and try to kiss him, the other one comes and pushes me down and is fiercely defends the one who's going to be kissed. And then I catch that one. And then the other one comes in and defends and lots and lots of laughter. And by the time we can hug and kiss, you know, we've had a lot of fun already and they really mean it. It's not just, oh God, I got to kiss grandma. It's like, well, that was fun. So it, you know, play listening is a very powerful tool for helping siblings, um, build their relationships with one another because you're the, you're the, you know, you're the target, you know, you're the one that can't quite figure things out and they're clever and they're faster and they're smarter and, and they can team up. So, so Patty, for parents who, who, as we said, children are a little bit older now and, and they want to begin this. Mm -hmm. Are you saying that one of the best ways to begin is with that special time to yes, build that yes. bond, start that? Even if your kids are five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old? Even if your kids are 19. Yep. Yes, because everyone, no matter how old we are, would love that connection with their parents. Even if, even if your relationship with your spouse, because parenting is so difficult and you're always concentrating on the kids, even if that's starting to fray, special time is a really good tool. It's like, okay... Let's go out Friday night. I've got a babysitter for the kids. Let's do what you want to do and let's go where you want to go. And then next month we'll do what I want to do and we'll go where I want to go. And um, it just – so one one person can kind of shine um, delight on the other one while the other one's getting – you know, getting not doesn't have to compromise on what they want to do. And uh, it, it's, it's a really good tool all around. Have you ever worked with parents where one parent says – yes, I love this concept, and the other parent is rolling his eyes and saying, this is ridiculous. Just give him a smack on his backside and tell him he has to listen. That's probably the more common scenario than the one where both parents love this, you know, love this approach. Right, uh, and so how do you bring the two parents together? Because it must be really hard to do this when the other parent is not as supportive. It is. It is. And um, I think the principle that, that I would, you know, offer people to sort of wrap their minds around what the problem really is, is that 
um, for people who are tend to be harsher with children, um, those are in general people whose parents were quite harsh with them. And um, they, when children um, kick up, when children come up with certain behaviors that were absolutely forbidden in their in their home when they were little, um, big feelings are kicked up that something is terribly wrong here that come from their own parents' attitudes around that kind of behavior when they were young. And um, it's they don't necessarily know that you know old memories are being kicked and old behavior is kind of replaying itself again. Um, but that's that's what we think is probably happening. And that really the best way to build a, a, a parenting partnership is to set up regular time to be together that isn't stressed, so that isn't about the children, you know, that's about, you know, watching the football game or going to church together without the children or without the distraction of the children or doing whatever it is that, that helps the parents feel connected. And so that would be number one, that oftentimes there's a lot of tension around child rearing and what that, you know, and, and one way to resolve it is to get good help regularly so that there can be attention for the relationship and for enjoyment in the relationship. And that can often ease some of the tension around child rearing just because the couple has a chance to be together under unstressed circumstances on a regular basis. And then I guess say the second thing is that for the parent who wants to use this approach, to work on their feelings about the other parent in their listening partnership time so that they aren't radiating disappointment or radiating fear or radiating you know, disapproval whenever the other parent does the best they can given the experience they've had. It's kind of like we have to really, um, I don't know, we, we, we need to come into a, a situation that has been fraught with tension a little less tense on our end, a little, and uh, the way to do that is to work on your feelings. There's an article again on our website called, I believe it's called "Partnering, Partnering Well as Parents," and it's got some further ideas about agreements that can be made or um, deals that can be struck so that each each parent feels respected in the relationship, although they disagree and. I think the idea really is that you can't really learn something new from someone until you feel respected by that person. And so the idea is to build connection and build respect so that a new idea or two can slip into the relationship. Um, but, but that that won't happen until a sense of respect and, and, and caring has been established or reestablished. Oh, and once again, this is all about connections. It's, mm -hmm. it's just amazing. Patty, if, anyone is interested in learning more about your work or hands in hands, how would they um, go about doing that? Probably the easiest way is just to go to our website. We're at um, www.handinhandparenting.org. And um, there, there's, there are a number of ways that you can, you know, learn more. You can read articles, you can go to our parenting blog, which has lots of success stories by real parents, just like you. Um, there are classes that we teach, um, for distance learners. There are support groups in every class that we have. So, um, any class that you take from us will have a support function where you're learning to listen to other parents and you're learning to listen to them. Um, and they're learning to listen to you. 
And we mentor people in learning these skills. And there are booklets and um, and audio tapes that you can get on all all kinds of different subjects. But really, I think the best presentation of these ideas in their entirety is it's not it's not a big deal, but is a set of booklets called Listening to Children. And um, you can buy that from our store online. So we have a class called Building Emotional Understanding that's really our premier class. And you get mentoring and you get a support group every week for six weeks. And people's lives have really been turned around in classes like that. And the classes are small. It's no more than six parents in a class. So your your mentor really gets to know you and your situation. And um, you get some some good attention for exactly where you are and exactly what you want to learn. Sounds really wonderful and really important. And and I just love listening to you. You know, you, you just reinforce everything that I believe and I love the way you articulate it. And I just know that our listeners today have to have taken away something really special and important uh, to support all the, the kind of parenting they want to do. So Patty, we only have a minute left in, in, in the short time we have. What would be the last uh, message or thought that you would like to leave with our audience today? I think the last thought is, you know, that your child is good, no matter how strangely behaved they might be, and that you're a good parent, and that you deserve support, and that support will allow you to love your child, you know, more fully in more moments of every day, that really... You deserve support, and support is totally appropriate, totally appropriate for each and every parent at each and every stage of parenting. Um, That's it. That's great. I I love it. I want to thank you, Patty Whipfler from Hand in Hand Parenting, for joining me today. The stories you told and the way you articulated it uh, is just so clear, and I know that together we're all making a difference in the way we approach these little ones in our lives. Thank you so Thanks, much. Sam. Thanks for the important role you're playing too. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we're all in this together. We yep. really are. So everybody, thank you for joining us. My hunch is you're going to want to listen to the show over and over again because it's not the kind of thing you just suck it in and there it is, you have it. It's okay to just try little bits and pieces and Uh, find other parents who are willing to go this route with you and you can support each other. You can get on Patty's website and find the support that you deserve. This is not about being good or bad. Uh, This is about our feelings and cloudy intelligence. intelligence. I love the way Patty put that. Moving through the emotions that cloud our intelligence. We're in this together Life is good. Take a deep breath. Set up a little special time with your children this week. Some one-on-one special time. Connect and enjoy. Mm. This is Sandy at Leading Edge Parenting saying thank you so much for joining me today. And until next time, I love you all. Bye-bye for now.